I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. It may be the best headline we've seen in about a week. Ukraine and Russia ceasefire talks have actually started. Now, this could be a waste of time, or it actually could be something that we could be excited and proud of. Russia and Ukraine began their talks at the Belarus border as the conflict between the two neighbors enters its fifth day of war. The Ukrainian presidential advisor, told Reuters via text the face-to-face exchanges have begun. The Ukrainian president's office said earlier the talks aim was an immediate ceasefire and withdrawal of Russian forces from Ukraine. President Zelensky said 16 Ukrainian children now have been killed and another 45 have been injured in the Russian invasion. He also added that over 4,500 Russian troops have been killed and urged Putin's troops to lay down their guns and leave. He also added in a a video message that every crime, every shelling by the occupiers, referring to Russia, bring our partners and us even closer. The Ukrainian delegation was the first to arrive for the talks with Russia, saying they were unclear whether they'll lead to any breakthrough. Now, the U.N. Security Council has also voted to hold a rare emergency special session of the General Assembly to debate the crisis engulfing Ukraine after Russia's invasion. That meeting is set to begin in the U.N. headquarters Monday afternoon and could go on for days. Now, the U.N., and I want to move to more context on that story, the U.N. is going to address this crisis in their General Assembly. And this is the U.N. Security Council has voted to hold a rare emergency special session. Any resolution agreed at the General Assembly will be non-binding, which tells you kind of how worthless the U.N. really is. However, the U.S. is looking to build on the 100 now countries that have voted to condemn Russia over its annexation of Crimea in 2014. Now, there are 193 members of the global UN body, and they will be given the chance to speak. Now, you got to think, and let's go back to what happened in Crimea in 2014. A hundred countries back then voted to condemn Russia, which is barely over 50%, with 193 members of the global body. They'll now all be given a chance to speak. You got to assume they're going to get well over a hundred people saying this is wrong. Now, any that choose to do so, will defy Russia after it voted against the resolution in the U.N. Security Council. But under U.N. regulations, it did not have veto power to derail the referral of the war to the General Assembly. Remember, in the U.N. Security Council, where, again, Russia is a member, they have veto power, and, of course, they vetoed them being censored or sanctioned or anything negative towards them coming from the U.N. The procedure is allowed under U.N. Resolution 1950, called Uniting for Peace, and echoes growing international calls elsewhere for action to be taken sooner, not later, against Russia's unprovoked aggression. 
It also allows for members of the Security Council to take over the General Assembly for a special session if the five permanent members, which include Russia, the U.S., Britain, France, and China, fail to agree among themselves to act together to maintain peace. It will just be the 11th such session that the General Assembly has ever held like this, according to diplomats. Now, this days-long diplomatic exchange is expected to highlight the extent of Russian isolation in the international community over their deadly invasion of their neighbor. The council members who supported this resolution recognize that this is no ordinary moment. That's what the U.S. ambassador said at a press briefing earlier. Quote, these are issues that affect all member states, and now in the General Assembly, they can all make their voices heard on Russia's war of choice. Now, this is going to happen for at least a day, this conversation. And this will be happening as Ukraine and Russia are meeting. It will also happen as the fighting continues across a number of fronts and the human cost of Russia's aggression is exposed. Now, the session comes after last week's United Nations Security Council meeting where Ukraine made an ambitious effort to have Russia ejected from the U.N. entirely. On that occasion, it argued that Vladimir Putin's government did not legally acquire the seat formerly held by the Soviet Union, which is a very interesting and a smart move. Now, there's another thing that's happened, and that is that Vladimir Putin has become isolated. In fact, in many ways, he's been isolated forever. And some are now even talking about the prospect of a coup. I want you to hear a conversation by the former Russian ambassador from the U.S., who is speaking with Joe Scarborough. Now, I want you to understand, this is MSNBC, I'm going to play for you. And if MSNBC is reporting it and talking about it this way, then imagine how bad it actually could be for Vladimir Putin right now in Russia. Take a listen. Yeah, it is frightening, Mr. Ambassador. Uh, I, I know uh, that uh, we are looking uh, through a glass darkly and can't really see what's happening on the other side. A lot of Americans, a lot of people across the West wondering uh, what uh, what happens when enough oligarchs are, are angered, enough insiders are deeply disturbed. Uh, we're hearing reports repeatedly that the Russian uh, middle class uh, Russians are scared and horrified by what's going on here. Um, we used to be able to talk about the Politburo and try to make our best guess about uh, the machinations inside of the Politburo. Uh, what give us give us your best guess about what happens inside? Is there any check to Vladimir Putin? And at what point when the pain becomes tough enough for oligarchs, for the Russian middle class, for the Russian military? At what point do they move on him uh, and try to get him to stop this war or remove him from power? It's the number one question. I, obviously, I don't have a clear answer, but I can tell you that in the last you know, seven days, because I talk to Russians every single day. I talk to Ukrainians every single day, just corresponding with one, uh, you know, right before we got on here, who, who's close to Mr. Zelensky, about just how they are standing firm. And the fact that he's standing firm, Zelensky's not leaving Kiev, is driving Putin nuts, because the whole world is talking about his heroism, and the whole world is talking about how evil Vladimir Putin is. But to your question, Joe, he doesn't have people around him that he listens to. 
Uh, he's been isolated forever. He was isolated when I was ambassador eight years ago. He would not listen to anybody. He sat out at his compound outside of town, rarely came to work, does not have a feel for his own country. And that was all okay, as long as everybody's making money, sending their kids abroad, uh, you know, cracking down on the opposition, everybody was fine. But now it's that, that elite, that, that elite that has benefited from Putin's regime that has now turned on him. Uh, because they never thought that he was going to do this, right? They never thought he would be so crazy as to do this kind of attack. And they are all in shock. By the way, not without reason, a lot of Ukrainians, a lot of Americans didn't think he would uh, do this. And so they, that is happening now. But the problem is they do not have mechanisms to turn their, their discontent into stopping him. But I can tell you, there, there are people now, you know, just discussing that talk about for the first time ever since Putin's been in power for 22 years, that maybe we need, you know, hopefully there'll be a coup. Hopefully they'll stop him before it's too late. I'm not predicting that. I want to be crystal clear about that. If it, I think that's a very low probability event. Um, but the fact that it's being discussed, that is something new. He's, he's lost this country, including the people that are closest to him. Now, there's something there that he mentioned that I think is a really important point that we need to expand on. And he talked about how those around Vladimir Putin are not happy with him. Directly what he's talking about when he said that, and this is, I think, the real point that people need to understand, is that the oligarchs that are rich, the oligarchs that are around him, those are the ones that are the most upset right now. Those are the ones that are the most angry right now and the reason why they're angry it it really does make good sense they're losing money the crashing of the markets the crashing of the ruble the crashing of uh, what they're invested in and there are a lot of things that they are invested in and they are absolutely those are those things are crashing and that's what this is about this is about that crash They've lost maybe 50% of their wealth overnight because of something that Vladimir Putin is doing that's isolating Russia, hurting the Russian people. You can't get money out of the banks in Russia right now. There's been a run on the bank. And outside of oil and gas exports, they got to import pretty much everything they need in Russia. And your buying power just dropped by half. So if you had a million dollars in buying power a week ago, you have half of that right now. If you're an oligarch right now, you're angry. Even if you're one of Putin's people that got rich because of him and you're sitting there going, why are we doing this, Vladimir? What is the point of doing this? You're costing all of us money. Our assets are being frozen around the world. Our banking is being frozen. We can't do business, even if it's corrupt business anywhere in the world right now, because you have completely isolated us. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. There's another part of this with these oligarchs that I think is shocking, and that is that it's very clear Vladimir Putin did not think about any of this before he did it, or if he did, he just didn't care. 
And that has now brought up even conversations and questions about could there be a, a coup attempt on Vladimir Putin? The people are angry. The oligarchs are angry. Financially, they're in significant trouble now in Russia. The world is isolating them and condemning them even more than they were before, which is another part of this that everybody has to look at. And if you combine all this, if you, if you look at all of what I just described, this is not good news for Vladimir Putin. Now, he, he could argue, I don't care. I'm Vladimir Putin. I kill people. Right? You get in my way. You say anything, I'll, I'll end you. Does he have that power still? There's a very good chance that, yes, he does have that power. He very well could have the power to continue to do this invasion of Ukraine and to double down and to try to have another, even you could argue, a surge. There's a very good chance that that can happen. But the oligarchs are upset because they're losing everything. And if you think about it, if you've lost the people and you've lost the rich that were gaining by you being in charge, there's not many people left around you. And the military is getting beat. And a lot of these skirmishes right now, so that, that either they maybe they don't have the, the willpower that they thought they had, maybe they realize how dumb this is, or maybe they have so many connections to the people in Ukraine that they don't really want to go in and kill all of them the way that Vladimir Putin is wanting them to. It's a, it's a very complicated situation. But let's go back to the isolation for a moment. Listen to the former uh, uh, Ambassador Michael McFall and talking about these oligarchs. Uh, through the years, to be very skeptical of news reports uh, that come out of the fog of war, predictions on how one side's doing, how another side's doing. It it would seem to be particularly difficult in this case. Uh, But did we not get uh, a better understanding of just how badly things were going for Russian troops when Vladimir Putin started talking about uh, nuclear uh, preparedness yesterday morning? Exactly, exactly. He's not saying that if he's winning the war, right? I've seen him when he's winning wars. He's a very snug guy. Uh, uh, you know, he sits with his legs all spread out. And he, you, know, you, know, you know how he talks, right? Uh, you're not seeing that in Putin right now. You would not be, he would not be saying those things if the war wasn't going badly. The, 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 the other part of that, however, is that he's moving on, I think, to uh, plan B right now. He thought shock and awe, he was gonna attack cities, uh, the Ukrainians were going to fold. Zelensky was going to run to Poland, and he, he would put some, you know, uh, puppet in. That's not happening. And what I fear happening, especially watching things on the ground in Kharkiv, is he's moved to an old Russian, his old strategy that he's used in cities like Aleppo, uh, throughout Chechnya, which is much more civilian casualties um, to try to uh, turn things around. Hearing from people from Kharkiv, you know, just eight hours ago. They said they're going to fight to the end, uh, but but I think he's pivoted to that. And the other thing I want to say, Joe, part of the reason it's gone so bad is he's misjudged his own military. I just listened to, I don't know, four dozen interviews with Russians last night who were captured in, in, in Ukraine, and they're asked, you know, why are you fighting? They can't answer that question. Uh, the Ukrainians put them on with their moms, right, on the phone, and they say, tell your mom, why are you here? Why are you here? And they say, I don't know. Why? And I think we've underestimated, well, Putin, I think, has underestimated that. I think maybe the world has, right? It's one thing to have capabilities, but you have to have the will to fight. 
And that 58-minute rambling speech that Putin gave, I, I probably was the only one that listened to the end, right? Because <laughs> I don't think many Russians did. He could not explain what this war is about, and I think that affects the morale of the, the Russians that he sent into Ukraine, and that he's calling on the Belarusians to help him out. That's another sign of desperation. That's another sign this war is not going according to plan. One of the other things that's happening here is they are going after civilians and they're going after apartment buildings and bombing and hitting with missiles these places. And that is only making the people in the Ukraine fight back even harder. They're not running. The women and children are evacuating. The men are staying. The men are staying and they're saying, I'm not backing down. They're saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, we're not going anywhere. Colt Volker also talked about something else happening in Russia. Talked about the internally around Vladimir Putin. Things right now he believes are starting to crack. Take a listen. They could develop. Uh, so I think they're going to try to keep the targets, but they've got to get off the Russian supplies. One last one, if I may, Mr. Ambassador. What happens to world opinion if indeed the Russians do intend to demolish parts of Kiev to take it? Uh, world opinion has been remarkable. Also, everyone has come around now to see Putin for the for the brutal dictator and aggressor that he is, and to support Ukraine. Uh, I I, have th- I think the Ukrainians have a good chance of surviving here. I think they may actually hold off the Russians, and I think this will be ultimately the end of Putin. I don't think the world Whoa. will tolerate him leading Russia anymore. Who's going to take him down? Uh, hopefully internally, the military and the intelligence services, I think they see that the only threat to Russia today is Putin's leadership. Do you, th- do you t- question his sanity? Uh, I, I think so, to be honest. To be uh, going after civilian populations this way, waging a war out, straight out of the 19th century, and then threatening nuclear use, uh, this is, these are the actions of a madman. That's dramatic stuff, Mr. Ambassador, but we're very glad to have you on the show with those opinions. We appreciate it. Colt Volker there, hopefully internally, the military and the intelligence services will take Putin down. Now, this is a conversation we never could have imagined when this all started. But again, we go back to what these are two former ambassadors are now saying. One says Putin has been isolated forever. Hopefully there will be a coup. Another ambassador says, hopefully internally, the military and the intelligence service will take Putin down. These are, again, two conversations we've never had before. Two things that, you know, not, not part of this. And, and then there's just the pure will of the Ukrainian people. The Ukrainian people, despite Russia's overwhelming firepower, they were not able to pass into many areas that they tried to get into. Why is that? Because they're not leaving their homes and they realize that they would rather die fighting for their freedoms than live under the dictatorship, under the rule of Russia and Vladimir Putin because they've experienced it before. They've experienced what it's like to live under Russian occupation, under Russian rule. And, they, and they're like, we're not going to leave and start all over. This is our home. We are going to defend it. What an amazing story. Vladimir Putin thought he could go in there, shock and awe Ukraine, and just flat out beat them. He has more planes. 
He has more tanks. He has a bigger military. But an entire country is now standing up for themselves. You know, there's a a viral story, and I I don't even know if it's true or not. I don't care. It's it's the principle of the matter. There was a posting of an 80-year-old man who showed up to join the Ukrainian military. We believe the picture to be true at this point, but there's a lot of pictures that have been used that aren't even connected to Ukraine right now and what's happening right now. And that's why I say whether it's true or not, it's the principle of what we're witnessing in the Ukraine. And this picture shows a 40-year-old man showed up to join the Ukrainian army carrying with him a small case with two T-shirts, a pair of extra pants, a toothbrush, and a few sandwiches for lunch. He said he was doing it for his grandkids. There are grandmothers who are doing it. They're saying, I- I'm okay to die. I- I've lived a full life. This eight year old's like, I'm okay. I'm doing this for my grandkids because my grandkids are not going literally over my dead body. Are they going to grow up under Vladimir Putin's rule? I'm 80 years old. This is what many of the grandmothers, same thing with the grandmothers, right? These grandmothers are saying, behind, it's like they're, they're basically saying, I'm okay with my life being over. I've lived a great life. I am going to do this for my grandkids and for my kids, and I'm going to make sure that my kids and my grandkids do not grow up under Vladimir Putin's rule. And if my life ends at the age of 80 or 70 or 60, look at Zelensky. The world is totally shocked that America is, you know, hey, we'll send a plane and get you out. And Zelensky's like, no, 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 no. I don't need you to send a plane to get me out. I need you to send a plane with, with munitions. With ammo. I need you to send a plane with the things I need to be able to fight for my country. I'm not asking you to send troops. All I'm asking you to do is send supplies. Don't send an airplane to get me to safety. I will die in my country defending it for my kids, for my grandkids, for the future of people in this nation. So don't send me a plane empty for me to sit on and and leave. I'm not leaving. I'm willing to die. Look at the former president of Ukraine. Same exact thing. I'm not leaving. Not going to be captured either. I'm going to fight to the death to defend this country and defend our freedoms. And it is inspiring, but it's also sad. It is sad that in Ukraine, I think the people there understand how valuable freedom is, and we take it for granted in this country. And look at all the freedoms that we've given up just under COVID, for goodness sakes. These people are dying for the freedoms that we've just handed over left and right for the last two years. It is a stark reminder of a compare and contrast of just how different and how lazy we are in this country and how we don't understand what's happening with our freedoms. Many don't, I should say. What's happened under just COVID? We're handing over our freedoms left and right, and these people are dying for theirs. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Even as these peace talks are underway, we are now seeing a video coming out that the war is still raging on. Ukraine's second largest city is being bombarded with shelling during the peace talks. Uh, It looks like Vladimir Putin during these peace talks is trying to 
make sure that they understand while they're at that table that we can just kill you from the air, bomb you from the air. And obviously, they are trying to move this in a new direction. We also know that Vladimir Putin is also talking about nuclear war, nuclear explosions. And we just got word that BP has just exited a $14 billion stake in a Russian oil giant, Neft. Now, they can buy back in at any point. I want to be, be clear about that. But we are just getting this breaking news that, that British oil company, BP, is pulling its $14 billion stake from Russian oil giant, Neft. This according to the Washington Post. It's one of the most significant Western investments in Russia ever in its history. Russia's attack on Ukraine is an act of aggression which is having tragic consequences across the region. The head of BP said in a statement, BP has operated in Russia for over 30 years, working with brilliant Russian colleagues. However, the military action represents a fundamental change. It has led the BP board to conclude after a thorough process that our investment with Rosneft, a state-owned enterprise, simply cannot continue. The BP move is one it is one more sign that Western public opinion is swiftly moving against Russian President Vladimir Putin's unjustified invasion of Ukraine, a sovereign nation that gave up its nukes in 1994 in exchange for the Russian government's security guarantee. A lot of people forget that. In 1994, Ukraine was a nuclear power. They gave up those nuclear weapons in 1994 in those kumbaya years of Bill Clinton in exchange for the Russian government's security guarantee that did not happen, as we now know. You want to know why places like Ukraine should never give up their nuclear weapons? This is exactly why. And they did it in 94 in exchange for the Russian government's security guarantee, and, and Bill Clinton was involved in that. How did that work out? Not very well. In ways large and small, from consumers to companies, to governments. The West is growing more determined by the day to take a bite out of Russia's economic might, military aggression with a mixture of sanctions, boycotts, and even the denial of airspace. More from this breaking news from the Washington Post. The world's biggest computer chip companies have started halting sales to Russia of vital electronic components to comply with the U.S.-led sanctions. And the European Union is banning Russian flights from its airspace, forcing Russian airline Aeroflot, Aeroflot excuse me, to cancel the majority of their international flights. Now, hours after BP's announcement, Norway's state-controlled oil company said it, too, is quitting its investment in Russia. A group of joint ventures is valued at $1.2 billion, saying this. We are deeply troubled by the invasion of Ukraine, which represents a terrible setback for the world. So the president chief executive said in a statement, quote, in the current situation, we regard our position as unattainable. Saying that the company will begin exiting our joint ventures in a manner that is consistent with our values. So two very significant moves that have just happened. Again, BP now exiting their $14 billion stake in the Russian oil giant owned by Russia. 
Now, we're also being told that despite Russia's overwhelming firepower, even as they are bombing cities as we speak, the people are standing up. And I want you to hear part of this incredible story. The bridge here hasn't been raised for as long as they can remember, but neither has the sleepy port town of Mykolaiv been invaded. The clack-clack is likely exchanges with Russian paratroopers who we're told landed nearby. Locals struggling to keep up with their world here collapsing and soldiers edging. The fear here, Russian saboteurs, like these two suspects thrown to the ground by soldiers. Then the sirens go off. And it is back in the basement for mothers and cats. Here, the noise of what Russia would do to these towns in the name of subjugation and geopolitical gain. Police trying to turn lights off, it seems, in businesses that closed in a hurry. Life persisting, caught between hoping this is short-lived and wondering if it may go on forever. Behind it all, in empty streets, the fear they may be overrun. And whether each huge blast will be the decisive strike that lets Putin's troops enter. The shelling just went on and on. The next morning, we saw where it hit. It's likely a missile tore up these Ukrainian tanks, but nobody left feels broken. How you feel? Good. good. Very good. Yeah? Yes. And they tried to come into the town. You're saying the Russians tried to come in last night, but the town of Mykolaiv beat them. And you can see what that looks like here. Saying, look, look around here. I'm asking him, how do you feel living here, looking at all this? This is where you live, right? He's like, look at this. Look at these windows that are blown out. Yeah, so the words of Russian ministers who've been saying that they're not going to hit civilian infrastructure here, he's repeating them back to me, saying, look, look at this. They say they're not hitting civilian infrastructure. Look at this damage around here. Putin's rockets may have shattered glass, but not dented the anger here. As they take stock, you have to ask yourself why Moscow ever thought these towns would gladly be occupied and what Russia's end goal is. Tempers fray here. Blood has been spilled. But despite Russia's overwhelming firepower, they did not pass. You know, I think one of the most incredible parts of the story is how all that the Ukrainian people are asking for is the weaponry needed to defend and protect themselves. And they're clearly willing to, willing to fight for their homes. They're not asking to be evacuated. Just like the President Zelensky has said, don't send me a plane to get me out of here. Send me a plane with munitions. Send me a plane with ammo. One of the incredible stories we heard earlier uh, was the story about the European Union. And their foreign policy chief has announced on Sunday that members of the EU is, are going to supply, and I would say better late than never, 
Ukrainian with actual fighter jets with the technology they need to go toe-to-toe with the Russians. The Wall Street Journal is, is, is now putting this, and, and again, this is all public opinion. It's so frustrating, but at least it's moving this way. The world is clearly saying we stand with Ukraine and not with Russia. Clearly, the world is turning on Russia. Thank goodness they are turning on Russia. BP Oil and all these people that have been making tons of money off of Russia and making them rich are now starting to realize that there's no way that you can justify working with Russia right now. And this is where it's obvious that Vladimir Putin totally overestimated his ability to take over this country easily and totally overestimated his power that the rest of the world would not respond in the way that they are right now. But he also thought at this point that it would be a quick thing like we saw in Crimea. And that then he could say, oh, I'm protecting all these people. And look at all the people that didn't die because we took it over and now there's law and order, right? That's what he was thinking here. That he could do that and the rest of the world would say, okay, no one's dying right now and he's in charge. And all right, fine, we'll move on. Keep making our money. But the oligarchs that, 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 are, that back him now have to be looking at this thinking, what, did, what has he done? What is happening here? What uh, uh, Again, what is happening now? Now, the White House has also come over and said that we're not going to go to war with the Ukraine, or excuse me, with Russia. We're not going to send our boys to fight. Take a listen to what the White House press secretary had to say moments ago on the law at the White House. Military tactics here. I think that the world has been so stunned by waking up morning after morning to President Zelensky, who is defiant and who reports that the Ukrainian forces are fending off Russia. Is it possible, Jen, do you think, for them to hold Russia off long enough for international forces to stop him? Or do you think it's a matter of time before Russia overwhelms Ukraine? We we still, first, President Zelensky, the Ukrainian people, the Ukrainian military, they've been incredibly courageous. They have stood up to one of the world's most powerful militaries on the ground in Ukraine. But our assessment has not changed that Russia, President Putin, the military has every intention of taking Kyiv and they're continuing to make progress. Given that, was it a tactical error, Jen, for the U.S. not to say it is possible we would send in military forces? Should the president not have taken that off the table, at least in terms of what he was saying? We haven't for Taiwan, for example. Well, the, the president wants to be direct, has always wanted to be direct about with the American people about what he will do and what he will not do. He is not sending U.S. forces, men and women who fight for our military into Ukraine to fight a war with Russia. We are not going to have a military war with Russia with U.S. troops. And he thinks it's vitally important and first and foremost important to be direct with the public about that. I want to ask you quickly about the refugee crisis that we want to get to the State of the Union. Sure. But the U.N. Let, let, me, let me just also, and you mentioned, you heard him mention the State of the Union. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up by saying this. The President's State of the Union is going to be one of the most important State of the Unions for any Democratic Party leader. In a very long time. He's going to have to deal with what's happening in Ukraine and a failed foreign policy. He's going to have to deal with an American public that is very, very frustrated right now over inflation and very, very frustrated right now, not just over inflation, but the rising price of oil and gas. He's going to have to deal with an American uh, uh, people that are very frustrated and exhausted from COVID restrictions and lockdowns. 
all of this while he's going to have to deal with a foreign policy. The president has got a State of the Union and address that I'm not sure he's going to be even capable of delivering the message the way that he needs to deliver the message. I'm talking about cognitively. But the rest of the world is going to be watching and they're going to see how he responds. And they're going, to, they're going to see how he responds to see how they feel about him. And the rest of the world's going to look at him and they're going to say, is he weak? Is he incompetent? Is he incoherent? And from a national security standpoint, I, I do want the president to look competent. I want Vladimir Putin to see a president that is not incapacitated or isolated. I want him to see a leader that at least can have conversations with the rest of the world on these issues and that people don't try to take advantage of us because there's also what's Taiwan right now and China. They're making a decision right now. Is this their time to go in and can America or would America stand up and would America stop them while they're distracted with what's happening in Ukraine, while they're distracted with their economy? The American people are going to be looking and I also think judging this president who has the lowest approval rating of any time in his history, lower than any point in the history of George Bush or any point in the history of Barack Obama, lower than any point in the Trump administration. His approval rating is a disaster right now in the 30s. So not only does Joe Biden need to hit a political home run message with the American people, he's going to have to hit a home run with the world. And I don't know if he's up to it. I don't know if he has the capacity to deliver that speech. Now, let me go back to Ukraine. Um, I don't think Vladimir Putin is going to just stop overnight. I don't think these peace talks are going to stop everything right away. I don't believe that he has an appetite to kind of say, okay, let's agree to disagree and let's end this thing yet. I think there's going to be more bloodshed. I really do, unfortunately, because I think he's a psychotic man. It's going to take more isolation. Now, I do believe that we should stop all imports of Russian oil. I think we should open up that Keystone Pipeline again, and I don't think the president has the willpower to do that either, which is a huge problem. Let me just tell you, these people in Ukraine, I, I want to shake every one of their hands. These people are brave. They're willing to die for freedom. And in this country, what have we been doing? We've been giving away our rights and our freedoms for the last two years in the name of COVID. If you want to know what to teach your kids, this is what you talk to your kids about right now. Explain to them how important your freedom is and what happens when someone takes it away. And what we do to fight and to make sure that it doesn't get taken away. I'm inspired by these people, and I hope it's making people in America understand just how much we've given away when it comes to our basic rights and our basic freedoms. Make sure you share this podcast, please. Hit that subscribe button so you get this podcast each and every day. Um, It's free. Just hit that subscribe or auto-download button. And lastly, if you would write us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast, the five-star review, uh, it would help us tremendously. We'll see you back here tomorrow. I'm
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.